Welcome to season one, episode eight, all time podcast. We're going to be talking to you guys about 90s hip hop. Last episode, we spoke to you guys about 80s hip hop and really dug deep into the changing of the guards for hip hop. The, uh, the artists that really did something for what MCing is all about, what production is all about. And what these artists did for hip hop. Yeah. Um, They paved the way for a lot of the artists we're going to be talking to about in this week's episode. I'm grateful that everyone has been listening to the podcast. And the last thing I'm going to do is tell you what, what to do when you're not listening to the podcast. I really hope that after last week's episode, some of you guys went out and... Um, heard some of these 80s albums it's very important to point out that the current generation of hip-hop is not very heavily influenced by these guys necessarily if, i would some say of them might all. not even know who these guys are it's very important that somebody passes this knowledge down i feel like we did our duty as fans in last episode Big to time. say that These albums are, as I wrapped up on last episode, they were like a breath of fresh air to go back and listen to because it's so far removed from where we are now. It's crazy. It's crazy to me how these guys are not held higher than they are. Again, it's not, I don't think it's the, the fault of the, the artists of today. They were just shown differently. They were given a different time to start off with. Yeah, I didn't start off with the 80s. I started off with what I was shown mm. in the 90s. But And you that, did start with, like as you said, Straight Outta Compton was one of your first. Three Feet High was one of my first. There were 80s albums when we got into it that... But I was shown other things before I fell okay. in love with certain albums. You know okay, what I mean? So I was shown different things. So these guys are being shown different things. So it's not their fault. But to pay homage, to pay respect to hip-hop as a culture, as a genre of music, you need to go back and do your homework and dig deep and see where it started. See who changed it and why they changed it and how they changed it. I mm. think it's the big question mark. And we're going to dig deep into... The future of hip hop in the 90s and what the 80s did to change into the 90s. Mm -hmm. If I made sense when I said that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get this going right away. 90s. 90s are gonna start the same way the 80s did. The 80s episode kicked off with Boogie Down Production, Criminal Minded. The 90s is gonna kick off with KRS one return of the boom bap. If you did not get a chance to hear the 80s, or if you did and you don't remember, if you're just listening to our voices because you enjoy it, Keras One, DMC of Boogie Down Productions. Scott LaRock was killed. Boogie Down Productions kept going. There were other albums that came out, but Keras One is now Keras One on his own as a solo artist. Debut album. Return of the fucking Boom Bap. In 1993. So you saw hip hop was changing. We spoke about the Australia Compton's, the Three Feet High and Rising, the Paul's Boutique. Now we're getting into the 90s 
and we're we're getting heavily into sampling heavily into different producers really structuring an album for you dj premier yeah not the only producer on it but has a lot of production on this by now there's already uh three gangster albums out when um return of the boom comes, comes out. out but uh nonetheless it's pretty much uh it's pretty much that mc producer vibe on this album do you notice one thing about the premiere production on this album that i personally really love Premiere is usually always, you know what you're going to get from Premiere. A Premiere beat is, is very noticeable. The scratching. the Yeah. You could tell which ones, now that we told you Premiere produced, you could tell which ones he's working on when you hear this album. But they don't stand out necessarily as, as the rest of Premiere's work. They're very different. They're, yeah, and that's part of who he's working with in KRS-One. A more in-your-face rapper, contrary to Guru, as we said in the duos episodes, who's more laid-back, mellow. A louder rapper. A louder rapper. Yeah. So it's a nice contrast to what you might know from DJ Premier if you listen to this album. Keras one becomes not back to what he was doing with Boogie Down Production, but he's still angry in the sense he attacks more political stuff. On this one, yes. He attacks more the police brutality with Sound of the Police, Black Cop, uh, so many different ways, and he's not shy about it. He's kind of he's kind of doing like with that straight out of Compton in your face, but as a KRS one. The big fuck you. And he's known for his rapping abilities. And he's gotten better. This album really yeah. stands out. Yeah, it does. It's not that 80s anymore. It's more that KRS one. I've done my homework. I know what I'm doing. I'm an MC. I could put you in your place. I could wrap circles around you, KRS one. <laughs> and look at my production. The production value on That's this true. is high. The production, we said Premiere, we got Kid Capri, we got Showbiz. You're starting to see different producers as well are getting highlighted. And as a body of work, to me, this is his best album. For sure, for oh, yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I wouldn't deny that. And mm. including the Boogie Down stuff too, I'd say. Yes, for sure. I know Criminal Minded is, is often held up in that maybe top 20 hip-hop albums of all time. I think this one just aged a little easier. It's not as difficult it, to get through. And it's got more of that bounce. Yeah. There's more of a bounce. It's more alive. Well, he had a very heavy reggae influence in the way he would in the way he would rap in the beats in the samples he used. So it there there is a somewhat underneath all this kind of political uh, uh, anger. There's a sort of positive beat going on, and and he attacks that that what hip hop means. Mm. On this album. He's very, very, very intense on what hip-hop is. There's that great quote from him that he says, rapping is something you do, hip-hop is something you live. Yes. He's very into... Um, KRS is very, very, very firm on uh, what... 
he's very firm on defining things a certain oh, way. He real. knows, like, he likes having a way and giving the listener, the audience, a definition of what they're enjoying. But Steve, he got the nickname the teacher because he's mm. teaching you. He's teaching you about all these things. There's a difference. He's teaching you. He wants you to understand what he's talking about, what hip-hop means, yeah. and how hip-hop and all the other political views and all the other things of hip-hop and what it means to the rest of the world because hip-hop is a culture. So he talked to you about graffiti. He talked to you about emceeing. He talked to you about production. He talked to you about all this stuff. And he, and he tells you straight in your fucking face that he's a better MC than you and all the whack MCs could stay back. There's something that always stuck with me about KRS-One. It has nothing to do with this album at all, actually. But KRS-One, aside from you telling me which albums I should probably go get, KRS-One was the person that put me onto Gangstar. And I forget what it was exactly, as we could, like, Premier's producing on this, so he has a connection to them. But there's an interview, I forget where it comes from, it's I, it may be one of the abi, uh, amoeba what's in my bags type of things um, where he's kind of shopping for those of you that don't know that series he's shopping through the uh, stores and pulling out oh yeah albums that he uh, I don't know if it was the amoeba ones or if it was for something else but he held step in the arena by gangstar to the screen and something along the lines of and said something along the lines of if you don't know hip hop, if you don't know this album, if you don't know Step in the Arena, don't talk to me about it. Don't, don't pretend you know anything about hip hop. To this album, to Step in the Arena. That's not on our list. But. <laughs> so we know nothing about hip hop. Next album. <laughs> that, let me say exactly what KRS once said. If you not, if you do not know this album. <laughs> You do not know anything about hip-hop. Don't talk to me about hip-hop if you don't know anything about this album. Which is called? Midnight Marauders. By a tribe called Quest. Let's just start it this way. I think we're allowed to do it because we're putting 2010's albums on this list of greatest albums of all time. So we could agree that we're breaking the norm. In the way these type of lists are done. Could you agree with that? Yeah. Could we say that this album is better than Low End? This is definitely, to me, better than Low End Theory. Here's my problem with hip-hop music. You do not know... You're going to get surprised when I give you a, a list in order where this album goes. Hip-hop music is very interesting because when a, when a great album is released... Let's say a low end theory, and the example that we're talking about is perfect. Their first album, People's Instinctive uh, Travels and Something. Great album. Low end stepped it up. It shook the world. It is a ten on ten. It's a classic. It's a it's 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 a perfect record. When Midnight Marauders came out, it was hard for people to say that it was as good as the last one. It was, it, it was well-liked and loved and praised, but everyone was too afraid to say it's as good, if not better, than Low End Theory. 
like people are afraid to say that some of the albums from this decade outdo some of the old stuff. They're fucking... But why can't we do that? Why can't we say this is their best album? People are scared. To disrespect the classics. This is Could a f- it be? Definitely, but this is a fucking classic. Why is it so bad to say that this classic and this classic, maybe this one's a bit better, even though it came after? There's me- always this kind of, and especially in the 90s, Those are, and, and in the 80s, we said it on, on Follow the Leader versus Paid in Full. Everyone's afraid to say it's as good or possibly better than the classic. Why? I don't get it. I, I'm, I'm with you 110% on this. I don't fucking get it. The production on this album, this is where Q-Tip really stepped out of his element with the production. He really expanded on just loops and... On the last album, I mentioned how Fife could often be forgotten about when you're first looking at Tribe because Q-Tip stands out a bit more. And you got to kind of go back to Fife. Like, you you pay more attention to Fife. Midnight Marauders, man, is Q-Tip's album. This is where Q-Tip shines. So if you love Tribe Called Quest because of Q-Tip and this isn't your favorite album, it doesn't add up. Not a chance. It, 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 it just doesn't. If you love Tribe Called Quest and Fife is your favorite, okay, I could see you saying Low End Theory is still superior to this. That being said, I'm not choosing one or the other as my favorite. I tend to stick with production in terms of picking a favorite album of two. Like, like production stands out a lot to me. But if, if, if Q-Tip is your member in Tribe Called Quest and this isn't your favorite album, you got it fucked up. And you're deaf as fuck. And you said something about Fife being the, not the main guy on the last album, but the one who stood out. He, he pulled you in with the punchlines. with the. When I was listening to this the other day, and today, to be honest, I was really trying to, underst- I was trying to understand why I love this album so much. Mm-hmm. And you're right about the Q-Tip production. This stood the test of time. This aged super, super, super well. More than low end theory for me. Mm. This started a lot right, of. I agree with you. This, this, like Pharrell sound, you could hear, you could hear Pharrell's production. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're not fucking deaf. We know what we're talking about with this. You could hear that Pharrell sound. You could hear the Kanye's. You could hear. You, you could hear all of that in this. All these guys that sample that that use different instruments that use the jazzy. You could hear them in this album. Fife, to me, stands out as a better MC on this album. He stepped his game up, I would say, like you're putting it at max volume. He's not on it as often, though. Well, no. he's on it. He's on it. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a member of the group. But Q-Tip sometimes has more in that he does the hooks, in that he's... I would even say he has songs to himself on this album yeah. almost entirely. It just, he, when he's on the album, I find his lyrics and his punchlines and the way he uses references and he references himself. Fuck, man, he, he stepped it up. That volume is to the max on this. Yeah. With him as an MC. So many, 
of those classic lines of Fife come from this album. For those of you unfamiliar with the Midnight Marauders artwork, it's a classic artwork um, where you get like a bunch of hip-hop icons wearing headphones, all their heads side by side. Uh, the Beasties are on there. Bismarcky's on there. Busta Rhymes. Dell, the Funky Homo Sapiens on there. Puff Daddy. Really? Yeah, Puff Daddy's there. Uh, the Far Side guys are on there. I mean, it's it's an iconic cover. When you see this cover, just like when you see Low End, you probably recognize what this is. Was, there, was this like a concept album? A little in that uh, there's kind of the Midnight Marauder, that robot voice that kind of carries you through. But I wouldn't say it's... I don't think there's much more of a concept uh, you know my favorite, beyond that. You know my favorite song on this album is? What? Lyrics to Go. My favorite track on this... I gotta be honest with you. Fuck their all. I don't. Dudes. I don't. I don't play. Um, I don't play pretend when it comes to this stuff. Award tour. Being the massive hit that it is, featuring True Boy from De La Soul. Is one of those five hip hop songs, I could put on at any time, and I will listen to till the end. It's one of my top five hip hop tracks of all time. Whether it's a single, whether it's popular, I could care less. Award Tour is my favorite the track beat. on the song. Yeah. The beat. When yeah. that beat drops, you know. Uh, Eli- um, Electric Relaxation, the other single, man, it's incredible. Oh My God with Busta Rhymes. Oh My God. I said, oh My God. Steve Biko. Yeah. There's so much. Steve Biko, Fife sets off the album. Besides the Midnight Marauders tour guide intro, mm. Fife, Dog... Kills it with that opening again. And his Linden Boulevard represent, represent. Fucking, mm. it just sticks with you. My favorite jam back in the day was? Eric B for president. No, what was it? Eric B for president. Eric B and Rakim. Fuck him. But Eric B and Rakim paid in full. Again, like I get, when that song comes on, I get goosebumps. When song two comes on and I hear Fife Dog, I get goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Because he sets off an album, and I remember in episode two, because I went back and listened to, and you're shocked by me saying that, I said that they had the better intro on Low End Theory. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. This has the better intro. The reason I disagree with that little point is that I find that the, vo- the voice at the beginning kind of kicks us off, whereas I find the, the bass line on uh, excursions really uh, gets you going. Day and night. Day and night. Uh, you get a Raphael Sadiq on this album, credited as Raphael Wiggins. You get Busta Rhymes featuring. You get some production by Large Professor, just to Large Professor being from Main Source, another album that we realized we liked quite a bit. Did, um, do you give this album a 10 out of 10 like you give Low Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Yeah, of course. I mean, I can't say what I just said and not give it a 10. What the fuck? Rolling Stones gave it a 2 on 5? Yeah, but you got to understand that... They're deaf? Yes. Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, go hear it if you haven't. Next album on the list. Tupac. All eyes on... Me against the world. (laughs) (laughs) Me against the world, Tupac. This is an album we went back and forth, me and you. Yeah. Conversation, which Tupac do you like more? Mm -hmm. Why is this on, like, 
we, we were going back and forth. To me, this is not my favorite Tupac. Tupac, to me, as an artist, has two classic albums, and everything else around is good or okay. It depends. It's very moody. This album... 95. 1995. If I'm not mistaken, was this recorded in Los Angeles? As him being one of the only, one of the only non-New York MCs on the list, or New Jersey. I'm not too familiar, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to answer that. You said, and you've told me before. It was taking place, it was recorded in different studios. There wasn't a specific location that most of it took shape, it seems. This album to me doesn't sound West Coast. Yeah, I've said that often. I don't think this album sounds like West Coast rap. And I think for those of you who think um, we're the ones who are deaf, <laughs> when you get to the later part of the album, you get track 12 called Old School. He gives credit to everything East Coast on that album, pretty much. As deep as De La Soul. Again, the Eric B's. Um, if you want to talk more about why it sounds East Coast. Brand new being is being sampled, exactly. You're getting Red Man samples. You're getting... You're getting sounds that... Even though G-Funk had already kind of started with the Chronic and Doggy style, this wasn't taking, this wasn't modeling itself after that. You know, you want to know which album this models itself after? To me, Ready to Die. Oh, really? Look, there's no denying that these two artists were fueling each other to keep going and, 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 keep putting out solid bodies of work when I hear this album to me me against the world and not because it's a single disc and all eyes is a double like Notorious's albums to me this is modeled after Ready to Die now that you're saying that you're bringing you're bringing <coughs> the light to the fact that Tupac not fed off different MCs, but looked up to different MCs. We're not going to deny this, look. These guys looked up to each other. They hung out. They, they hung out with each other. This, this, this beef thing that everyone loves so much that people lost lives over was created by the medias. And the drama, you hear it at the beginning of the album. The skit intro to the album mm. is all the stuff that they were saying about Tupac getting shot here, getting shot there, uh, checking himself out of a hospital, uh, having a beef with this person. Uh, basically, the drama without social media. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, they, that's what highlights the beginning of the album. Now, it flows into... 
If I Die Tonight, which is to me my favorite song on the album. I like so many. I, I like so many tears. I like the, the the sample that, again, a single, but. But, <laughs> but Tupac. Like he fed off other MCs, but in a good way. He looked up to different MCs. He doesn't change his flow a lot. He's he's not as angry on this, except on the Fuck the World song, but he's not that angry on this as he is in his later work. Yeah, you said that about All, all Eyes being angry. I didn't find it too... I didn't find All Eyes was an angry album. I feel like the, the instrumentals kind of upped, kind of made it sound a bit more... Uh, Antsy, let's say. Again, on this album, he sounds paranoid as hell. That the whole world is out to get him. Well, highlighting the title? Yeah. Is this his best album? No. Is this an album? This is where... This is where there's, there's, a, there's two different Tupacs, I find. There's, there's two different Tupac. There's two different Tupac sounds. Before he went more West Coast and and did the more West Coast sound with more West Coast MCs and production, there was this Tupac. Me Against the World Tupac. Yeah, was the more laid back. Laid, laid back, st still angry, still paranoid, still going through a bunch of crap, but... It's where it's where after this it changed drastically, and probably for the worst. As much as we love the music that came out after this, I think there's a very important word to highlight in the two albums we spoke about. There's no other Tupac albums on the list. These are the only two you need. There's uh, an important word to highlight in the album titles of the Tupac albums that we spoke about. And they come out, I think, maybe two years, a year apart, maybe. Yeah, because uh, this comes out in 95, and All Eyes on Me comes out in 96, yeah. right after he comes out of jail. Both, both albums have the word me in it. There's a very victimized feeling in the titles. Me against the world, All Eyes on Me. Everything revolves around him. The paranoid part that you brought up is very, um, is very, imp it's very important because for the first time in hip hop we got the aggression from N.W.A. But for the first time in hip hop, lives were being played with. There was there was violence between gangs and between and 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 artists that were part of this kind of thing. But this was. This was people that weren't of his surrounding, of his of his entourage, of his knowing that were after him. The medias were after him. They wanted to see him in shit. They wanted to see him get shot. Like Tupac got shot was a news story. Tupac goes to jail is a news story. For the first time, these are news stories in hip hop. But when you look at Tupac, besides us that love, love music and respect these artists, Tupac was looked at 
not for his rapping abilities, not for his albums. He wasn't looked at like that. He was looked at because the light was shined on him for just who he was. The character. The character. There was a story out of it. And people loved that. They fed off of that. And I think all of that bullshit played off on him getting shot, him having so much bad things against him. And I think if, again, media and people weren't pointing the fingers and things weren't happening, none of this shit would have happened. And beefs wouldn't have started. And all this stuff wouldn't have happened. It's, it's because of what you just said. To me, is Tupac is looked at mm. as that instead of as DMC, instead of what he did for hip-hop. And it sucks to say. As music lovers, we look at him differently than what the outside world does. Yeah. Uh, Lifestyles of the poor and dangerous. Big L. Which is our next album. And I'm going to tell you one thing. Go for it. I am so fucking happy that this is on our list. I am so happy that I pushed this album on you. I am so happy that we could talk about this album. To me, this is one of the most underrated hip-hop albums ever. I'm going to be honest with you in that, yes, you pushed it on me. Yes, you were the one telling me this needed to be in my... Uh, I need to own this. I need to hear this. Um, I'm giving the spotlight on this. I wouldn't say I don't think it should be on the list. I don't think it would make a lot of top 100 lists. I understand why you want it there, and I can understand why it deserves to be there. But I don't have much to say on it. Besides it being just a great straight... Remember how we said uh, Pete Rock's Sail Smooth is just a good straight-up hip-hop album? That's how I feel about this. Tell me how you feel about it. Whoever, whoever doesn't put this on a top 100 list to me is deaf as fuck. A Harlem rapper, 95. We got a young Jay-Z featuring on his album. We have a young Killer Cam. We have a young Murder Mace on this album who were brought up to be bigger MCs. Nobody was paying attention to him at the time. They were paying attention to different artists like the Tupacs, like the B.I.G.'s like the Tribe Called Quest, like the Mob Deeps, like the Wu-Tangs. They weren't paying attention to Big L. Big L was kind of left to the side. He went on Stretch and Bobbito. He had his big freestyle that people were blown away from. But this was after this, this album came out. This album was kind of pushed to the side because of what was going on. Punchlines. Mm. He didn't start Punchlines, but he made punchlines bigger than what it was. The album is dark as fuck. The beats are dark as fuck. This is probably one of the first New York hip-hop album that gives you that gritty street tales, but kind of is fucking violent out of, out of the norm. Like that Ghetto Boys. Remember when we spoke Ghetto Boys and yeah. how horror it was yeah. and that Grave Diggers, how horror it was? With emceeing to the next level, this gives you that horror, like he's 
fucking telling you he's gonna kill you on it. Hmm. The 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 rhyme, man. Over and over and over, and you guys must be annoyed as fuck about me saying this, but the rhyming on this fucking album is to the next level. To the next level. Hey, yo, you better flee hops or get your head flown three blocks. L keep wrapping hearts pumping like Reeboks. Really? Are we really going to fucking go there? Are we really going to fucking go there? Some brothers still be large if the crack never came out. I got the wild style, always been a foul child. My guns go poom poom, your, your guns go pow pow. Hello? Front and get half the bones in your body broken. And when it comes to getting nookie, I'm not a rookie. I got girls that make that chick Tony Braxton look like Whoopi. I run with sturdy clicks. I never hit in dirty chicks. Got 35 bodies. Buddy, don't make it 36. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Mm-hmm. With, I don't think MCs were really kind of rapping the way he Could does. Could you repeat the last one? You want me to repeat it? Mm-hmm. Got 35 bodies. Buddy, don't make it 36. Step to this. You're good as gone. Word is bond. I leave Mike's torn when I put it on. No, the 36 part. Go back. I won with sturdy clicks. I've never mm. hidden dirty chicks. Got that, 35 bodies, but don't. Make it 36. Is that a Wu-Tang this? No. You sure? Yeah. Find out. I'm going to find out, but I think he was just trying to make a rhyme as perfectly mm, as it out. does. Find out. I don't think there was ever a beef with these guys. Maybe not a beef, but trying to. My rap steady slamming. I keep a heavy cannon. Find out. Find out. Peace to my peoples, the children of the corn, because <laughs> we put it on. Adios, ghost, I'm gone. To me, this is what MCing has to be. This is, this is what people need to start hi- holding rappers to a different level and to an extent. It's because of rappers like this. Production value on this. Rap genius, find out. Buck Wild, Lord Finesse, Showbiz, Craig Boogie. It just keeps going on and on and on. Rap genius, what do you want me to look at? At 36 of this. I don't know if he's dissing the Wuklantang. <laughs> the Wuklantang. So far, I am getting absolutely fucking nothing. Well, clicks and 36 is where I feel like, okay, like this kind of a shot being made. No, I don't. There's nothing. It says nothing about. No. Well, I am not the rap genius, so don't say I said it. But just going over his lyrics and when I'm listening to this album, it just stands out to me of how great he was and how underappreciated he was. And it's only after he passed in 1999 that mm-hmm. he was being held to a different level. Killed by accident. Killed by accident, they were they were trying to kill his brother, who looked like him, and shot him instead. You guys got to go listen to this album. Like this is fucking an. Underrated Give us one album. last line that should make people go hear this album, and then we're on to the next. One last line. Give us a good bar. You really want a last bar? Okay. Nobody can take nothing from Big L but a lost chief. The last punk who fronted got a mouthful of false teeth. Really. 
Next album. I known to gas a hottie and blast a shoddy. Got more cash than Gotti. Next album. Next album. Is this the album? Next dun, album dun, on the dun. list, uh, we spoke uh, in the group's episode when we spoke about Low End Theory, the album that, uh, that is very, very, very good, but not as good as Midnight Marauders by Tropical Quest. We said that it was possibly the first time you were hearing Busta Rhymes. It was not. Because he was doing Leaders of the New School in 89 and getting popular. Um, I guess we could say the Tribe Called Quest uh, highlights were oh yeah, pu- put pushed him. him into the spotlight. But when Buster Rhymes comes out with this first album of his, The Coming, right? This is the next album on the list. Big, big, big for him to call The Coming because he really wanted to put his foot forward and leave... That the leaders of the new school, yeah, and leave the hey, I was the featuring on a tribe. Well, that's what I was gonna say was that you're not getting the same sound at all. At all, it's grime, it's dirt, it's dark. This is dark to me, not so much the big L. This is dark. This is like this guy worked on later albums with Ozzy Osbourne and (laughs) Corn. This is dark. So, yeah. What do you got to say about this? Nobody was emceeing like Buster Rhymes. Nobody was emceeing like Buster Rhymes. Dirty? Dirty. But Dirty was more of the... the He was a more eccentric Buster Rhymes. But Buster Rhymes was more of the lyrical, rapping fast ability all over the place. Uh, He looked... He looked like a fucking psychopath because he was bouncing all over the place. He was, it could see that if you're, you're listening to him record that he's in the boot jumping around screaming all over the place, but being fucking lyrical at the same time. The first time I heard this album, I was like, who else could do what he does with the energy that he has? And I answered the question myself and was like, probably nobody. Buster Rhymes is one of a kind. He's in that category of guys that you could be influenced by, but can't. You got to be very careful of what you channel of his to not sound like you're copying him. Because you could be you could be looked at as a Buster Rhymes copycat. Yeah, it's easy to flag that. He started a lot of, a lot of not trends in hip hop, but a lot of the, the rapping fast. Yes, we had the Twistas, uh, we had the Three Six Mafias, we had all that stuff that were rapping fast, but the Bone Thugs, the Bone Thugs, but he was doing it differently, and to more of a, like a pace of just like whoa. Yeah, he was cutting the sentences. He was, yeah, he was chopping them awkwardly. He, he, he was mis- he was pronouncing words. He was uh, he sub- was mispronouncing words to make them fit in the bar. He was experimental in his um, delivery. And I think with this album, he really put his foot forward. Of let's get more Buster Rhymes. Let's see what else he could do. It's not really commercially successful. No. This album, because of what you said about the darkness. But future albums that were dark were quite successful. ELE, 
the third album was the one that had the Osborne and Corn feature that was. But he had more of the like. He had the hit single too. On hit, give the, me some. Give me some more. He had the hit singles. He had the uh, the featurings, the ballads, the the R and B mixed with the hip hop. Mm-hmm. This one he came out of the gate as, "Hey, I'm Busta Rhymes. Look what I could do." This is the only Busta Rhymes album on the list. When we initially made the list, we hesitated on ELE because ELE was our favorite uh, going into this project that we started. When we re-listened to ELE, it dragged and we thought it was very much a product of its time and not something that aged beyond that. We said, When Disaster Strikes is definitely his best. We put When Disaster Strikes on the list. And in going back to When Disaster Strikes... I felt it was maybe the stronger of the two albums. I gave you the decision to choose which one you wanted between When Disaster Strikes and The Coming. Because this one made more of an impact in hip-hop. It may, it set the tone of what was to come with certain MCs. It held, it held MCs to a different bar because it wasn't being done. It was challenging MCs to be different? Yeah, it was challenge, challenging MCs to be different and to step it up and do different things and have the energy that he had. Be innovative, animate. The songs on this album yeah. are very different. Like, they don't, it doesn't sound like an album where you're listening to the same thing. You're, you're listening to, look at Q-Tip. Q-Tip's on the featuring of the yeah. song, Ill Vibe. That sounds so differently than other songs on this album. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's more of like, there's an album that I think about when I think of Busta Rhymes, and I'm gonna go there. People can disagree, and I don't. It's jo- it's only because you brought up the Q-tip um, feature on yeah. this album, but to me, that first Q-tip album, Amplified. Yeah. That's very much his out of a tribe called Quest, and how can I be different? Everything right to the cover to the sounds he uses. I know Buster Rhymes is on the album. Korn is on the album. <laughs> but this is very much his attempt to try and um, channel what Busta was doing and step away from that positive vibes Tribe Called Quest stuff. Oh, 100%. I don't know of many other artists that did that, though. But in order to say that, Q-Tip is part of a tribe called Quest, a group that shapes, that that uh, sets a standard for hip-hop sounds, and he's going to do what this guy's doing. Says a lot, I guess, about the Buster Rhyme sound. But don't forget also the Buster Rhyme sound. He he played with different hip-hop sounds on his albums. He wasn't only giving you that rah-rah, that fucking energetic. He was He was doing... So much, so much different sounds that kind of fit well. That song that he did, uh, Def Squad versus... Yes, yes, yes. Flip Mode Squad versus Def Squad, Def yeah. Squad versus Flip Mode Squad. To end the conversation of Buster Rhymes, it's incredible how you could make a 8 minute and 10 second song of just... It's like a posse cut... But it's who is the better of the two groups? 
who is the better of the two groups? Buster Rhymes Flip Mode Squad or Red Men's Death Squad? And all that while promoting each other, not putting each other down. They weren't they they, they weren't bashing each mm-hmm. other. They were really saying who has the better MC, who has the better abilities, who could rap better. Pretty safe to jump on to the next album on the list. Um a regular listener of the All Time Podcast had something to contribute to. He was very excited to contribute this, and he could tell you who the better MC is. Yeah, let's see what the next album is. Muddy Waters by Redman. What a classic album. Definitely slept on. Definitely not talked enough. I don't even know where to start with this. Um, Redman is my favorite artist. I feel like he's the true definition of being an MC. With his lyrics, his voice, his patterns, his flow, cadence. Everything he does, he does well. You know, he got the good punchlines. He's super raw. He can be really funky. He knows how to flow with the beat. This album is produced by Eric Sermon and Reggie Noble himself. Throughout the album, the bass lines are just crazy out of this world. If you don't bump your head to this, I don't want you as a friend. (laughs) Just, I don't want you as a friend. Go back to listen to Bob Dylan or some shit. (laughs) But um, yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect match for Redman to be with Eric Sermon. This came out after There Is The Dark Side that was a pretty hardcore, weird, dark rap. So this album definitely put him in the mainstream. I don't know what to say more. Um, I'm going to leave it to you guys. Shout out to All Time Podcast. Peace out. Redman Muddy Waters. You could definitely see the passion that he has. Thank you, Malenko, for uh, for that contribution to the episode. Apologies to Bob Dylan. <laughs> but Red Man, Muddy Waters. To me, this album really showed his next level of MCing. We know him from what the album, we know him from There Is A Dark Side. But on this album, he really channeled his... His ability really channeled who he is as an artist and as an MC. Like mentioned, Eric Sermon. The Eric Sermon, Redman togetherness. Oh, yeah, it works well. Works yeah, super yeah. well because you got that Eric Sermon funky uh, production and you got that Redman funky flow that goes together. Let's be straight with each other. There's a lot of jokes. There's a lot of funny moments when you listen to a Redman album. There's also a lot of skits on a Redman album. Where did he get that from? Probably being a De La Soul fan. Yeah. Redman, you don't go into a Redman album being, I'm going to go listen to a very serious hip-hop album. No, no, no. It's all fun and games here. It's all fun and games. It's all word flow. It's all different, different ways of attacking a song, different ways of playing with your voice, your cadence, uh, how you put 
words together. This is one of Eminem's favorite MCs. Mm-hmm. Um, you reported that Milenko, our guest speaker, was upset with me for my opinion on Blackout. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like now I have the chance to clarify. Um, to me, this is a fantastic body of work that, as he said, we don't talk about nearly enough. Um, I would even argue that what the album is a fantastic body of work. My disagreement with having Blackout on the list was in that we're putting the two together to create this superstar album, let's say. And I knew that this was the only red man on the list. And to me, an alb- a, a, a top 100 albums can have blackout and not wet the album. That was mainly my point in saying, and, and look, I'll go even further in saying uh, he was very upset that I didn't like uh, blackout. I'll go further and say that I know more of Meth's music. I'm more familiar with Meth's music. And I'll go back and say that Red Man is the better talent between the two. Whoa. His catalog is more complete. Yeah, because Meth Man only has four albums. Uh, you could have four albums like Eric B and Rakim, as we said, and they're all good. True. With limited production. Uh, Very true. Right? Red Man's catalog is more complete. Method Man's catalog is a little more diverse. Hit or miss. But it's um, diverse because he plays with different sounds on different albums. He kind of get goes back to the Eric Sermon, mm-hmm. the funkiness and stuff like that, but he plays with different sounds. Here's the other thing, though. Method Man is the, as we said, even in Wu-Tang, he's the front guy. He's the character. He's going to dance around and get the audience to kind of look at him, look at me over here. But Redman's the one that's spitting. Uh, meth could spit, but Redman is, I would say, a notch above meth in terms of writing and lyrics. I could see where you're going with that. To me, I don't know who I like the, the most out of them, out of the two, because they're, they're, they're so different. Their tone is so different. Yeah. I would say... I have more fun listening to Red Man albums. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. You okay, Uthar? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. We're back. We're back from break. Uh, it's been a long day. We had to record two episodes in a row. If you notice, we didn't talk about news because there was none since last episode. <laughs> uh, why two episodes in a night? Because I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. Because I'm fucking you tonight. Um, let's do a recap. We usually recap after the break, and we did it on 80s. Return of the Boom Bap in 93. Midnight Marauders in 93. Me Against the World, 95. Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. You want me to give you more bars or no? In 95. <laughs> Uh, Buster Rhymes The Coming 96 Red Man Muddy Waters Featuring Milenko In 96 as well Shout out to Milenko um, Next album on the list 
I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. Um, and I'm fucking you tonight. If you know the, if you know what's going on, it's life after death. Notorious B.I.G. Released shortly after he passed. Uh, he passed on March 9th. It was released on March 1997. Apparently the album was not toyed with after he was killed. If I ever find out it was toyed with after he was killed, I'm tossing it right out the window. Well, to me, it seems funny enough, if you ask me, that this album ends with a song called You're Nobody Till Somebody Kills You. Don't tell me nobody touched it. You know what? Maybe the way the songs were put eh. in place, because he was very... Like, when you listen to him on Ready to Die, he was, he was telling you he's ready to die. So Yeah, that ends with Suicidal Thoughts, and this album picks up right after that with... Um, the life after death intro where they don't they bring him to back to life or something? Some shit like that. It's a very long intro. To me, there is maybe about ten complete bodies of work that have. It's basically giving you everything. It's giving you three meals. Mm-hmm. This album is for everybody that listens to hip hop. Yeah, this album is. Uh, can we rewind? Actually, yeah, I want to rewind to '93, where we uh, where we threw out the window that low end theory was better than Midnight Marauders. You ready to do it again? Yep, I'm ready to do it again. I know what you're gonna get at. Life after death is more complete. More complete. It's more interesting, and the development. The growth as an MC that he has on, on that that big has on this album on Life After Death, I think, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people would agree with, Life After Death is is the better album. I'm gonna go out and say it. Life After Death is a better album than Ready to Die. I don't know what I said in the first episode because I've never listened to the first episode. I might have said Ready to Die is bigger than Life After Death. But listening to this fucking body of work, this is better. This is... I don't think we said that. I know is, I didn't because I, I prefer this. You got... Somebody's Gotta Die. So dark, so vivid storytelling. Jumps right into Hypnotize. To this day, a huge... Club banger. Huge club banger. That goes right into Kick in the Door, produced by DJ Premier. Probably one of my favorite songs on the album. A straight up hip hop song. That goes into a R&B ballad featuring R. Kelly. And there goes our podcast. Back into Last Day with more storytelling. Mm-hmm. Which... I love the Doe too, the Jay-Z feature that follows. It's just the way the album is put yeah. together. What's beef? My Money, My Problems, another club banger. Maybe more of the pop sound. I got a Diddy story. production. Yeah, that that's a very Diddy production. Yeah. He he put this in is his the big. This is the 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 the, the bad boy sound. Uh, I would say comes out big on time. This album. I got a story to tell. It's for everybody. The mm. first disc is, oh, yeah. but, but, but the first disc is, <laughs> the first disc is just in fucking credible. 
for a hip hop listener, it gives you everything. It gives you those yeah. your three meals. It gives you your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. It gives you everything. Because we did it for the first disc, let's do it real quick. Notorious Thugs kicks off the second disc. Hello. Classic Bone Thugs uh, feature. Uh, Miss You with 112, another Lil' Kim. Track number four. I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. Track five, 10 Crack Commandments, another classic. Play a Hater. Nasty Boy. Sky's the Limit was uh, a, a, one of those deeper singles, but, yeah. but it bangs. This song's good. Uh, the World is Filled featuring Too Short. Too Short gets a lot of recognition Fuck. on the East. My Downfall featuring DMC, one of my favorite tracks off the record. Long Kiss Goodnight. And you're, you're nobody. nobody till somebody kills you. Bullshit, you didn't toy with the album. The production, RZA, DJ Premier, Easy mm. Mo B, mm. fucking Did Buck it. Wild, Diddy, Havoc. Look. You know me damn well to say that a double album is better than a single album. Is rare. I'm swallowing while you say that because <laughs> probably the best double disc album in hip hop. If not top two. No, no, it's the best. Well, what else? All Eyes is on the list as a double, which is... Wu-Tang Forever. Yeah, there's another double coming later. Don't say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, in, it's, it's crazy to me how he toyed and he played with so many different sounds. Yeah. I, I'm going to give a lot of those props to Puff Daddy. Yeah, you have to. Puff Daddy pushed him in different direction, made him toy with different sounds. Because if it wasn't for Puff Daddy, I'm sure he would have been that... that Strictly hip hop MC, you know what I mean? Like he wouldn't have the club bangers. He would be, an un not an underground hip hop artist, but like the regular hip hop artist. He toyed with so many sounds, went to get so many featureings. He sings on this fucking. Album. He wasn't afraid to use pop influence. Did he being being a producer and an entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneur above all, wasn't able to use the commercial. Wasn't afraid to use the commercial sounds, to um, fuck. It's been a long day. To give you a product. <laughs> Fucking Notorious B.I.G. is loved by many, many, many people. He has sex appeal. And the reason why I'm saying that, <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying you that. crush hard on him. It's because of those songs where he sings on, where he talks about mm. women, relationships. He's a 500-pound guy, maybe 400 pounds, I have no idea, but he brings that sex appeal out of him. Pause. Do you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Women love the notorious B.I.G. Because of what he could do in music. It, it brings that out of him. That's why women are in love with him, because of the type of music he makes and that sound. This is a complete body of work, better than Ready to Die. It also started bad boy just climbing that mountain yeah uh with the next album do we we could jump right into the next album the next album on the list uh underrated his name comes up uh his name came up in the last little while quite a bit shiny suit era um harlem rapper the harlem world 
mace. A continuation, I guess, of sorts of the... I mean, a lot of the sounds you hear on... Um, no Way Out? No, not on No Way Out. Well, on No Way Out, but also on... Life After Death. Come Back on this album? Come Back on this album. I think this is when hip-hop started to be commercially successful. Mm-hmm. Puff Daddy really pushed him towards that commercial success that I don't think... like. Biggie stopped somewhere with it, mm-hmm. wanted to do more what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. but he, he took Mace and he said, we're going to be this type of sound. We're going to do this type of sound. Because Mace, before this, before he joined Bad Boy, was named Murder Mace. Mm-hmm. Part of the Children yeah. of the Corn right. with Cameron, Big L, and Bloodshed. So he was more of that grimy, gritty Harlem MC fell onto P. Diddy's lap and made this. This was clearly where he was most comfortable, I'd say. Uh, really comes into his own on this album. Heavily, heavily uh, Puff Daddy influence as well. You have a lot of Puff Daddy featured guests on it. You get some early production by the Neptunes. I think on this list, it's the first... This is We spoke about them talking about clips, but this is the first time the Neptunes come up uh, in the 90s, this is like early Neptunes, right? Yeah. Uh, Puff Daddy produced, Jermaine Dupree. Mm. It's crazy how this is This is a, a another phenomenal body of work. Look at the featurings. DMX. 8-Ball and MJG, Bus. 112 again. The Locks. Fucking really pushed into that direction. It's not really held high in hip-hop. It's on lists. It comes up on the deeper lists, uh, lists that want to step out of the norm, I guess a bit like we're trying to do with this. Uh, But yeah, I know usually it finds itself right on the outside of the top, uh, uh, of the best hip-hop albums of all time. I think it's really important to highlight it as one of the best because... It recently came back. It was recently a trend again to get into this guy. Yeah, because of the way he dressed, because of the way he rapped. Yeah, and being honest, there's not much else in the Mace catalog that could do him justice. Absolutely not. Uh, Double Up was good, but good at most. This is really like his... And I also think the reason that we should highlight this is because... what does uh, what does Kendrick say on the "This Don't Kill My Vibe" remix? Puff Daddy wasn't your favorite. He just calls people out, saying like, "No, you don't listen to Puff Daddy." Like I called people out on the Southern episode, saying, "No, you don't listen to Gucci Mane." Yeah, it's just it, it, the, it's a trend. Listening to Puff Daddy was a trend, so I think it's important to highlight that. Um, <laughs> if you if you're listening to Puff Daddy, you miss the point. This is what you gotta be listening to, Mace. You gotta be listening to the Life After Deaths. You gotta be listening to, well, No Way Out's good. No Way Out's a very good album. But when you say you listen to Puff Daddy, it's not really a thing anymore. (laughs) This is, I think, what people mean by listening to Puff Daddy. When I mentioned that 
it was one of the first biggest hip-hop commercially successful albums before. People that listened to hip-hop were mad at Puff Daddy, were mad at this album because they were using more R&B on it. I think, to a certain extent, on the Wu-Tang Forever, where RZA says we don't make rap and bullshit or rap and R&B, one of the, that, that thing where they were putting down R&B is because of guys like Puff Daddy. Okay. Is because of guys like Mace. It could be also because of guys like Notorious B.I.G. that played with that sound. Mm-hmm. They didn't want rap hip-hop to become that R&B sound. Look at the way they were dressing on these albums. They were, they were they had like pretty boys, yeah. Pretty boys in shiny suits. Even the locks, yeah. who were part of Bad Boys, said that they hated wearing that. It was because they were dressing like that. They were playing like the that. part. They, they were, were playing the, the part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of took hip-hop and changed it again and did different things with it. Did it stick? It lasted a good year, I would say, till DMX came out and fucking kiboshed all that. Okay, so I, I like that you just brought that up because I was gonna, I was gonna Segway. ask this question and not ask it because I know the answer and want to see what you have to say. But I'm really, I'm, I'm honestly asking you this question. Uh, the next album on the list is uh, let's not go to just yet, but the next album on the list plays kind of an in between of two groups. Bad Boy, the next album on the list, and Rough Riders. What's the relation between Bad Boy and Rough Riders? Because I know like the locks comes up on a lot of them. DMX is often featured. This seems to be a, a, a guys from different cliques that seem to be rolling with each other. Khalees comes up on both sides. Um, if, if, if 112 comes up on both sides. If I can... St- Say why I think it's probably because it's B.I.G. pushing members of the locks. Jay-Z with B.I.G. Jay-Z being with DMX. All this stuff of being touring together, being part together, using the same producers. Uh, doing a bunch of shit like that makes them all be together. So they all use each other. They all feature on each other's albums. They have that connection they're pushing each other. Don't forget, the locks was part of Bad Boys and then jumped to Rough Riders right. and then started the beef with Puff Daddy. Can't all, there was a beef with there's, there, there's all this shit that plays off, mm. but they were sticking together, which was a big thing in the East Coast, was sticking together, sticking with your coast. Okay, I like that. And... Because Mace was commercially successful, because Puff Daddy was commercially successful, and they went to that R&B route, and they played with sounds like that, and it became different with the era, and after Big passed, there's another album that I fell in love with, and we could say is definitely another turning of the page in hip-hop. That's Jay-Z's Volume 2, Hard Knock Life. I would say it's a turning of the page because um, he takes this kind of sound, like, he takes this kind of sound that gets replicated in the Rough Riders sounds. What year was DMX? 98. 
Same time, around the same time. Yeah, say. because they toured together after both of, after this album came out and mm. after DMX's oh, yeah. It's Dark and Hell is Hot came out. They toured together and that's one of the biggest hip-hop tours ever was the Hard Knock Life tour. Right. Hard Knock Life being the um, the main standout single off this album. Production by Swiss Beats. Uh, did we mention him yet on the podcast? We, we, we might have mentioned him, but Swiss Beats, uh, one of the first times you hear Swiss Beats... Uh, not mainstream, but on a hip-hop album, he really started with this album. His production started to get known because of this, because of uh, the locks, Rough Riders, all that stuff. But it really, really started with this album. He has, what, three, four songs on this? Three songs. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of people are mad at Swiss Beats. I'm going to throw that out there because he wasn't sampling. He was, he was, he was using different mm. techniques to make a beat. Because hip-hop was heavily sampled in, yeah. in the 90s. DJ Premier, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Buckwild, uh, Kid Capri, all these people. And then Swiss Beats started doing it differently. A lot of people were mad at that because they wanted that sound. But Swiss Beats, because of this album and because of DMX, he kind of it took hip-hop to a different level. Yeah. Uh, volume 2, Hard Knock Life by Jay-Z follows In My Lifetime, Volume 1. An album that, in my opinion, is a top five Jay-Z album, something that people skip over a lot. Volume one? Volume one. I'll tell you why. Can I Can I tell you why? Why people skip over it. Or why it's, why it's not... It, oh, it yeah, didn't get as big as it was supposed to. Go for it. I might be wrong. Jay-Z fans don't hate me. He released that album after Notorious B.I.G. passed. Right. He was the guy that filled those shoes. So Who said he was to fill the shoes? It was just known. Because he did two songs with B.I.G. Because he was... There was expectations? There was expectations. Because of their friendship. Because they were on each other's songs and all that shit. And volume one was pushed a lot by Puff Daddy. He is on the singles. You could tell... Well, there's not many singles off the record. No, either. but you could tell that Puff Daddy had a lot to do with the album. So... To me, it's like Puff Daddy was just like, okay, B.I.G. is gone. I have my mace, and I'm going to use Jay-Z, and we're going to push Jay-Z into the B.I.G. light. Um, some interesting news from this week that, well, from, you'll be hearing it a couple weeks late, but... Um, he's the first billionaire in hip-hop. Yeah. Wasn't Dre a billionaire? Or wasn't he like why is this so why is this making so much news? Wasn't he already like full of money and I have no idea. I don't even pay attention to that crap. My either. first reaction was I thought like he Dre. already was. No, I well, you brought up that Dre was a billionaire. I don't understand how Dre wasn't the first billionaire. He sold beats for like a couple of billion dollars. I know. But anyways, um Commercially, this album did pretty well. It uh, it charted at number one. It uh, was well received. It did. It was probably okay. Jay Z's catalog. Uh, it's rare that he puts out two great albums in a row. You've noticed. Mm -hmm. uh, this was probably the first because Reasonable Doubt was self released. Yeah. Uh, volume one, as you said. Uh, wasn't super super popular, and we agree on that. It's overlooked. It it, it should be. 
uh, a regular in his top five, if you ask me. Volume two is probably the first time he pierces commercially, right? Yeah, because Hard Knock Life was commercially successful. It started to get that push because of that. He got a, he was nominated for a Grammy for that song and for this album and didn't show up. He pushed Memphis Bleak a lot on this album. Fuck yeah. Uh, with the intro alone, produced by DJ Premier, is a bleak track. But what a great intro. That then goes into the single. Yeah, what yeah, a great yeah, intro. Yeah. Uh, another a highlight is Coming of Age where they kind of they kind of battle it all together. Money Cash Holes with DMX. Yeah, a week ago with Too Short. Again, Too Short on Steve. these songs is... Steve. Yeah. That's a fucking phenomenal song. Mm-hmm. It ends on a banger, if you ask me to. It's 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 like that with Kid Capri. Shit. Reservoir Dogs, before we get into the last song, yeah. featuring The Locks, Beanie Siegel. Siegel Desert Eagle. Sauce Money. 1998 for Posse Cuts was the year. Because on DMX's uh. two first albums, you have those Posse Cuts with the same fucking guys. Right. It was like a, it was like a, like a trend. Let's let's do those posse cuts on each other's albums, and all those songs are, to me, fucking mind blowing. You know I love that shit. Mind blowing. I'm not big on posse cuts, so it's not one of the standout tracks for me. But it definitely holds its place within the, uh, within the album. Timbaland's on this album. Yeah. Irv Gotti. It's really a solid, uh, it's a solid record, and I feel like in the trinity of Jay-Z albums, we often put the Black Album in there. This could replace the Black Album for me. Big time. And, and that's not saying the Black Album is bad, it would still probably be in my top five with In My Lifetime Volume 1, but... It's also under underground, like when people, when people talk Jay-Z, it's one of the first albums that they go directly to. It was... It was loved by the underground, the people that loved underground hip-hop because it was more hip-hop, because it toyed with the sounds, because it brought in different sounds, different productions, different ways of producing music. Just look at the way it starts off with that DJ Premier beat. It's like... It's familiar because we know Premier and we've heard him throughout the 90s. But you hear him, it's so well-placed. Yeah. And Memphis Bleak starting off the album... Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of hip hop albums that start off with another MC starting off your album. There isn't. So, I want to end on a point, yeah, if you don't mind, because we got to get the next album going. Jay Z, as I said, it's rare that he um, releases two albums in a row that are well liked, well received, and praised. He's known to reboot his career, his uh, his sound every now and then. We got it on 444. Mature. This is how a rapper should sound at the age of mid-40s to 50s. Mm-hmm. He's finding a way all the time to restart. And hip-hop's a young, a young type of music. You could see it now. Right. I always say to myself, um, it'll be funny to see certain rappers past the age of 50 take the stage past the you know at some point you have to kind of find something new to do jay-z is the only guy that finds a way to do it to increase the level of maturity and continue to progress in rap using his 
at the age that he's at. This is the first time he reboots his career, is what I meant to say by all this. Reasonable Doubt, Volume 1. He realized, okay, I got to do something now to rebrand. And he pushes different volume artists. Volume 2 comes out. Volume 2, Volume 3. Rebrand again. Like, it's it's a constant change of, like, I did this for a little while now. Okay, next. He moves on with the times, yeah. too. Yeah. Last album on the list. Not yeah. uh, not a super popular one, but one that needs to be here. Um, because of the MC ability. <laughs> another one of favorite, another one of Eminem's favorite hip-hop artists. And you could see a lot. And I listened to it today. You could hear a lot of Eminem in this album. Hmm. I like that. Pharaoh Manch, Internal Affairs, which got discontinued one year after its release. Yeah, this album's out of print because... Um, they used... The no, no, no. It has nothing to do with samples. They didn't use anything. The, uh, the label was sold. I thought it's because of the Godzilla. No, no, no. Simon says the lead single had the Godzilla sample, but what happened was that it was sold. He was on Ruckus Records, Priority. Yes. And they were sold to Universal Music Group, and he didn't want to work for Geffen. So he said, ciao. And everything he's put out after was released, I think, independently. Yeah, I think so. Well, he joined... um Duck Down uh, real, Records. Yeah, before that, prior to that, he was a um, uh, part of a, a group that's pretty well known in hip hop. Not super well known, but more to the underground. More to the underground, organized uh, confusion. Fucking solid, solid albums too. But getting back to this, and getting back to my Eminem point, Eminem's style, Eminem's rapping ability, the way he puts words together. You could hear it so well just by the intro to the album. Mm -hmm. And I'm not dissing Eminem and I'm not putting Eminem down, but it's because of MCs like this. It's because of the MCs that take you to another level and do it differently. You feed off of them. Mm -hmm. You want to become like them, just like Redman and Eminem. He He got a lot of his style. A lot of people say that Eminem is the white red man, which is the stupidest thing to me. But you listen to these guys and you could see how they do things and how they write their rhymes. A lot of Buster Rhymes influence too, eh? Yes. Like you could see that the way he, uh, again, the way the bars break up, there's a lot of Buster Rhymes. He's very uh, in your face again in the same way Buster Rhymes may be. Buster Rhymes on the album even. The crazy, the crazy thing to me about this album is his rhyme pattern. And at some points, it's like he starts off a certain way, changes it up, goes back to it, meaning he's talking to you, kind of, mm. and then starts rapping. And then he's, goes he's back to talking. He's very good at switching the flows. and, and uh... Goes fast. This tempo, up, down, up, down. Mm-hmm. The guy has asthma. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm showing that. I'm, I'm telling you that. Because he talks about it on his later albums. Okay. The guy is fucking incredible. Yeah. The, how he, he plays with his pitches of his voice and his tempo and stuff is just, to me, is mind-blowing. This album is more towards the underground than commercially successful. 
Simon Says is... But it's odd because it's very catchy, though. Very catchy. The, the hooks are not... The characteristic I have that I associate to underground hip-hop is that the hooks are usually just, like, a rap line that's, like, decently interesting that gets repeated four times. This is a, actually a song, a, an album that uh, it plays a bit more with um, melodies vocal melodies uh like you said the the change in the way he raps is very much a, a um is very much proof of that mop featuring cannabis featuring buster rhymes common talib kuali a song on the album that changes the tone of the album yeah change the tempo of the album yeah fucking and ends off with the simon says remix featuring yeah. the craziest mcs to me Meth and Red, Bus, Shabam Sadiq, Lady Luck, all at their best. Yeah, I prefer the original, but. Production wise, Diamond D, Alchemist. Alchemist. Uh, DJ Scratch. An he album, produces too. Yeah. An album that, whether you like underground hip hop albums, mm -hmm. commercial albums, you like all that shit, it's a fucking album that you need to hear. Let me throw something out there. If this album, if he wasn't so proud to not work for Geffen and this album was still in distribution, you would know this album. Oh, fuck. You have to. I don't want to discredit him in making that move and saying that it hurt his career. But if this album was still available to the public, it's not on Spotify either. Really? No, you can't. You, you could find it. You could find the full rip off YouTube if you're interested. But it's not an album that's on streaming platforms. It's. It. I think it's pretty much like you don't want to work for us. We don't distribute. Goodbye. That was it. So, um, I think having made that decision may have hurt his career because this is when I listen to this, I'm not hearing an MC that should have disappeared. Fuck no, man. And we don't Fuck no. we don't hear of this. We don't hear of him. We don't know this. We don't hear of this album enough. And do you think And Simon says bangs. Like you, you wanna you wanna talk about songs that still play in the clubs? Once in a while on a good night, Simon says I'll hear it. Nobody knows what that is. Simon says comes on, you wanna flip tables and punch walls. Pretty much. The No Mercy song with MOP. A banger, just a big explosive songs. The album really flows in with different songs going into each other. The light he sings mm. a bit while his melody and his voice. Look, you have access to Spotify. You have access to Apple Music. You have access to YouTube. Pharaoh Monch, Internal Affairs. Go look it up. Listen. Listen to it. This is this is this is a crazy good album. A crazy good album. Queen's to, artist. To see how many people in the two thousands really learned from an MC like this yeah. and really brought it to the next level. Very, very important album for hip-hop, guaranteed. I think that's it for the 90s. We got KRS-One, Return of the Boom Bap, 93, A Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders, 93 as well, Tupac, Me Against the World, 95. Um, Big L, Big Lifestyles L. of the Poor and Dangerous. Do you want more bars? <laughs> Buster Rhymes, The Coming, 96. Red Man, Muddy Waters, featuring Malenko, also 96. Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death, 97. 
um, Mace Harlem World 97, Volume 2 Hard Knock Life Jay Z 98, Internal Affairs Fire Monch 99. I love the 90s. But what's your favorite of the 90s? Fuck, this is hard. Am I allowed to put two? Nah, that's not the rules. You could let me go first. I'll make it easier for you. Okay, go first. The same one. Go first. My favorite album off these 10, off this list of 10 albums is. Dun 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 dun. Tribe Called Quest, Midnight Marauders. You're going to tell me I could have picked another one after that. I'm going to go with... Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Fuck. Big L, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous. Okay. Fuck it. Okay, okay. Yep. Okay. Very underrated. Fucking go listen to that shit. I'm shocked. I think that's as much of a curveball as when I threw you Scarface the Diary. Yeah, that was a big fucking curveball, but man, fucking I didn't big L. That. I would have expected... I would have expected Life After Death. So if Life After Death is a solid 9.8, Lifestyles of the Poor and Dangerous is a solid... 9.9. No, <laughs> the reason why I picked the big L is because the value it has to what I look for in hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Whereas Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death, I was trying to choose between those two. It's more of the, we know that it's a phenomenal Okay, album. you're trying to put somebody on to something new. Exactly. Good. Yeah, you like know that. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, go out. You can, you have the Notorious B.I.G., Life After Death. We know that album, but we don't know the big L lifestyle of the poor and dangerous. Well said. Next week is a very, very, very special episode for us. Very exciting, very yeah. important. Something we've never done on this episode. I, I mean, on this season. Well, it's only been one season. I hope to do it more if it, if it works out. I think it'll work out. We're inviting our dear friend, Gabu. Gabu um, Fuck. is very excited to talk about Mad Villainy <laughs> because he texts us after every episode asking why mad villainy wasn't on the episode it could be debut albums it It could could be be duos groups west coast it has nothing to do with mad villainy he's gonna ask why it's not on the episode so we're very excited (laughs) to have him on um he is a huge music lover yeah yeah yeah. this guy knows this guy knows more than you your parents uh your grandparents There's a lot of stuff he may even know more than us. So uh, thanks for checking it out again. This was episode eight. Um, Thanks for all your support. Yeah, thanks for everything. Always. Yeah.